My name's Tracy Smith. I was born and raised in Kalamazoo, Michigan. In 1998, I attended the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin, Texas. And at a promotional side event at a local coffee house, I saw a showcase featuring some of the most talented performance poets in the country. Afterwards, I returned home and founded the Kalamazoo Poetry Slam. Now, almost 25 years later, for the sake of history, for the sake of nostalgia, and for some of the incredibly talented people we've lost along the way, I give you, dear listener, the Keizu Poetry Slamcast. This is Slam Poem. Later, like, the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach in the suburban noise of night. There's a question asked in one naked moment that never crossed into I am the Smith. I am the poet. I am the industrial revolution. No longer bright as fireflies. No the sweet nature of the future and the reasons that we sing. This week's Keizu Slamcast, we start things off with a little Charlie Burgess music, which I'm sure you've all grown accustomed to by now, followed by the feature set from Marty McConnell, who at the time was living in New York City and slamming on their National Slam team, one of their National Slam teams. And then after her feature is the Poetry Slam And I'm pretty sure this show was recorded in late August or early September of 2001. And by early September, I mean September 4th, because we all know what happened after that. And I didn't get the the impression that there was a very large elephant in the room that everyone was ignoring when I was listening to the show and doing the final edit. So pretty sure I got the timeline right. And it's a really good show. Enjoy it. Beautiful toes, little trees and twos. So why must you wear those disappointing shoes? You painted your nails in pretty reds and blues. So why must you wear? Disappointing shoes. You got a beautiful face and beautiful hair. They shape to your dairy air. But I lose my joy when I lower my eyes, and there's your beautiful feet. Inside a sad disguise Beautiful hair 
the shapeless shape to your dairy air. But I lose my joy when I lower my eyes. And there's your beautiful feet inside a sad disguise. Got beautiful towers and little trees and twos. So why must you wear those disappointing shoes? There's a circle in my head There's a circle in my head
Robert Schock. All right. Now uh, is, I'm so happy. Okay, so like New York City via Seattle, via Chicago, via Arkansas, <laughs> via something else, dude. I emailed Marty a couple days ago, and I was like, dude, you're in Chicago. Come up and see us. And she said yes. And so she's here now, like right here in, <laughs> in, in Graffrow. So let me introduce to you Marty McConnell from Bar 13 in New York City. woo Hey. This is very weird for me because I was um, I've been on tour all summer with um, the this group called the Morrigan, which is an all-female performance poetry troupe, um, on our Wandering Uterus tour, and then uh, and then I was in Seattle at the Nationals with my team from New York. So I'm like, what do you mean I'm on a stage by myself for a while? It's very very weird for me. I'm like, oh my god, these people are going to listen to me and just me, and that's just very strange. So. So forgive me if I'm a little like, whoa, hi. But I'm very, very glad to be here and, and not to have, have you know, numbers attached to anything I'm doing right now. And uh, <laughs> everyone's like, oh, yes, 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 the slam thing. Um, so with that, I guess I'm just going to go right into it and try not to knock this lovely music stand over with my shenanigans. You know the flesh is easy, it's the rest that's hard. Negotiating the balance of identity, society, morals, desire. The thrumming behind your knees that lingers days after you leave him at the airport. And nightly phone calls only sharpen the ache. The edgy scent of a dark woman's perfume as she crosses the street in front of you. The recognition you could take a new lover. Every mouth. Every bloodletting, every blistering failure and unearned success gave you something you need here. So you will choose now, in the instant of decision, with her rapidly walking away, knowing that to be one is simpler than to be two, that those who desire both, all, even together, live in the liminal spaces outside even the comfort of labels and limits, knowing you are too many for the minimization, too broad for the boxes, could call yourself gay, except the man perched in the lobby of your heart has grown essential to your breathing. Could call yourself straight, except the woman in the fourth row has a collarbone that makes your lips quiver. So you will choose. When the man in the pickup yells, dyke, and your arm circles tighter, the waist of the woman, not yet your lover. When the gorgeous butch at the bar says, so what are you? And you know what honesty will cost you. When the voices in your gut insist the words you have raised instead of children will never outlast your brief tenure in the spotlight. When you know you could never be enough for all you would die for and keep fighting any way you will choose, knowing mourning is not optional, but waking is bravery knowing the man in the pickup has a cousin currently gathering the courage to come out, and she will hear you speak two Mondays from now and her chin will rise a bit, knowing all you can do to get through this day without running into the woods or rush hour traffic is choose what connects your gut to your spine to your heart, wearing the proof of your life in the price your loud pen will exact, knowing this life is an argument with darkness. 
a battle to believe that morning holds something worth waking for, something harder than flesh. Thank you. <clears throat> I'm gonna be like, you know, alternating beer and water throughout this feature. <laughs> Watch me if I start going for the beer too much, be like, Marty, water, go for the water. Um, I have to beg your patience a little bit. I have been, um, like I said, touring and then at nationals, so I'm gonna do some newish stuff that um, I don't have memorized, hence the, the lovely mic stand here. Uh, yeah, I could just call this feature Shit I've Been Going Through. <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to call it, like make it a one-woman show. Shit I've Been Going Through. Covers a lot of ground these days. So they've won. The they who make it a world where you believe you can't love me in public and be the man your mother raised, the man to shake the world from its seat, and I've never wanted to be anyone so much as now to be whom you could fight beside and admit to loving never has this skin felt so much like blanched rope. And the irony that I wouldn't trade if I could one ounce of who I am, though it cost me your love and I'd die for love, beautiful stupid sentiment. I am desolate, mapless. This morning, I woke up screaming no again and again and again and again. The dream shreds whirling my tears into hurricane. I don't know how to begin to forge a world where no one must surrender love for sake of skin except by loving you. And that, no longer an option. Does choosing not to love me make you more a hypocrite or less? Can you say now with clean conscience, I would never love a white woman? And I know this is privilege talking. I know our battles are incomparable, but I've lived under headlamp stares for years, borne the sideways glares and unsubtle stage whispers of those who demand choice, who claim if I am not one thing or another, my love either way is a lie or less worthy, and I have held the middle ground that slipped and fissured beneath my boots, not perfectly, but held. But this is just me, and I've never been inside your skin. Near as I felt your blood pulse to mine, it is not mine. So I can only ask to understand why you claim you're not strong enough to love me out loud. But I've watched your grandmother's iron writhe in your biceps. You've never lacked strength, only faith and follow through. And maybe we were impermanent our unlikely geometry too strange to stand. Maybe the uneasy tolerance of friends would prove too much to bear, or politics make strangers of us eventually. The only certainty is that this way we'll never know. I, selfish I, would rather you left me for another woman that I could, with my fragile understanding, comprehend. I don't know what to do with this. Last night a black woman tried to kiss me, and I could only think, where would she draw the line? What does this betrayal buy you? In what kind of world could you love me? Yeah, shit I've been going through. Um, when I was on tour last year, um, at one point I was listening to a tape that the Academy of American Poets put out by um, a poet named Kamal Brathit. I don't know if any of you know him at all. 
Uh, he's a Caribbean poet, and he's astounding. If you find anything by him, buy it, buy it, buy it. Um, listen to it, read it, whatever. Um, and I actually pulled off the side of the road on tour, and uh, I wrote this poem. So uh, I don't know, maybe we had like half an hour to spare in between shows or something, because normally we don't have time, and I write on my lap. But um, this is Redemption Prayer for Kamal Brathit. Caribbean prophet man, I bow to your song. My pale brain contorting to follow each elliptical syllable. I'm embarrassed even to ink homage to this, but you goad me to words, insisting listening is not enough. Last month, a woman asked where she could sign up for my revolution. I told her I had no answers, urged her to read others. I should have sent her to you. You, the voice of 200,000 dead in a diaspora of which I still know shamefully little. I, so faintly acquainted with death, how can I speak tonight? Knowing these verbs cure nothing of the wet hell you decry, I would weep for it. But you want none of my salt, I'm sure. Where I stop to write this, a sign reads, Buffalo are dangerous, view from a distance. None appear beyond the fence, just broad grass and canyon. The Badlands, a man tells his daughter. It is the Theodore Roosevelt National Park. And on the radio, Kamal Brathet is braiding life out of purgatory. I believe my ears unworthy would offer this sun crimson skin as penance for sins of indirect ancestors, but shame makes sour sacrifice. My family ghosts speak with Chicago's harsh corners and Midwestern flatness, sing of smaller sufferings, years of drought and flooded farmland, depression babies, southern civil war prisons. You tell me of drums, of gongs, and God in words my dictionary does not own. Grant faces to the masses massacred in this middle passage. Drop a still-beating heart on the page and dare us critique its bleeding. Poet, you haul me gut first into the howl of a drowning man. Make me want to surrender this easy existence, stand witness to atrocities, vomit the apathy that strings us sterile and useless, abandon verse to turn activist and reporter, give up love songs altogether. I cannot mend the offenses of hands that match mine, cannot apologize for the unchosen ivory pitch of this skin, can only offer you this raw throat and these small white fists. Ask, where do I sign up for your revolution? Now it's the beer, hold on. Um, while I was on tour this summer, my, uh, my grandma Trout um, passed away, which was not so sad as she was almost 90 and got to die at home. But I spent all day yesterday at her house with my mother, <laughs> cleaning out files and boxes, and I threw away tax forms from 1952. So I swore, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not keeping anything ever again. I'm throwing everything that I have away, because tax forms from 1952, they look exactly the same as the tax forms now. Exactly. Nothing different, except, like, you know, they weren't on a computer. She had to actually, like, type them in. It was crazy. Um, and we found her wedding dress, which she had made into a party dress just by cutting the sleeves off, and it... It fit me perfectly. It's really scary. I was like, I don't believe in marriage. Shit. Like, why am I the one the wedding dress fits? She has, you know, 35 grandchildren and 74 great-grandchildren. It fits me? Like, that's so wrong. 
but um, yeah, it was a little crazy. But this is a poem that I wrote for her um, when she started getting really sick uh, at the beginning of this summer. It's called In Hope. I want to write a poem for the woman in room 227 with a sign above her bed insisting, call me Mrs. Trout. Cloud hair wisping the thin hospital pillow. Mother of seven, grandmother of 35, always lets the grandchild fill the crossword puzzle first. Who once plucked a ringing alarm clock from the toying hands of a grandson and flung it out a window. Whose best living friend and lifelong maid O.C. comes over once a week to move the dust around and discuss aching joints and kids nowadays and the possibility of the Bulls ever winning another championship. Who refers to all the players from the 1998 Chicago Bulls by their first names. Who once said that Michael needed to take Dennis under his wing and teach him a thing or two about courtesy. Who once met Walter Payton and has the frame photo to prove it who once said she hated going to movies because the theaters are full of blacks, who said last night, Mary, let me go, who still signs her own checks and thank you notes after two strokes and three heart attacks, after two major car accidents through arthritis and diverticulitis, back surgery, hip surgery, knee surgery, latex allergies, and bunions. I want to write a poem for the woman in the ICU eight states from here sleeping through the beeping of monitors and the cacophony of car alarms strafing the parking lot for the woman who made her offspring talk about do not resuscitate versus living will versus no extreme measures about what another surgery might do to her paper frame and got them to say, make her comfortable, just treat the pain. For the woman who spent yesterday decorating flower pot centerpieces for her own 90th birthday party for the woman who told me last Christmas Eve, I'm so blessed. I am so blessed. And this poem is a supplication to the power she calls God to grant her another summer, but not let her suffer. Let her blood pressure stabilize. Let her temperature mellow. Let the antibiotics battle the strep infection and win. Let the bed rail lie cool under her hand let the IV drip sleep into her soft veins. Let the night nurse remember not to call her by her first name. Let her dream of great-great-grandchildren watching her paint. Her 43rd great-grandchild floats two months from birth. Molly will never know the grandma I knew, who swam and climbed stairs, needle-pointed Rembrandts and Monets and oil-painted intricate Easter patterns on wooden eggs. She will only know her in wheelchair and recliner, hands shaky with age, but she will sleep best in those arms as grandbabies always have. I want to write the poem that will put the yellowing photos in order that will replay for her lake summers with her sisters and later with her children and then with theirs, that will sing her the first song she danced to with the husband she loved across barriers of age and religion, that'll let her admit she loves the black woman who for as long as the oldest aunt can remember has swept that suburban house, wiped those white children's noses and still accepts that monthly check to keep things clean. That'll make her want another Christmas just to see Will squeeze into the Santa suit he last wore in 1978. Make her want another birthday just to rival the parties that got the family banned from the Priory and the State Park and the banquet halls that housed the prior ones. Make her want another evening news, another phone call from Sally, another grapefruit, another glass of Mogan David. Make her want another morning. 
I've discovered that the beer is making me phlegmy, so I'm going to attempt not to drink any more of it. This is the portion of the show where I share too much information. <laughs> Bye. Sorry about the phlegm comment. Sorry. It's all my fault. I'm scaring people away with dead grandma poems and phlegm. It's really bad. I'm sorry. Tip your bartender well. He's listening to all this. <laughs> um, yeah, shit that I'm dealing with. <laughs> um, I'm 28. I just turned 28 uh, last month. And uh, I'm like, damn. And then I got a lecture at my, my grandma's funeral from my, my cousin, who's a gynecologist, because I, I said something in my grandmother's eulogy poem about how I might never have children. And she sat, she cornered me and gave me this huge lecture about how, like, you know, I'm not that old. And, <laughs> you know, I really could have kids. And, and, you know, like, people do it without partners all the time. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, grandma just died, and I'm, what? So, yeah. And, and yeah, it was all, I was like, why did I say that? Why did I say in the poem, why did I say something about babies? My whole family are, like, baby-making machines. <laughs> I'm a big freak. Yeah, you know, yeah, they just, yeah. So anyway, um, the, uh, <laughs> we, um, yeah, I had written this poem before that, and I, I almost recited it to her, and then I was like, it's just, it's just not worth it. And I was too tired, you know, and it was, it was my birthday on my grandma's, my grandma's wake, and I got a lecture about not having children, and I had to wear a bra, and I had to wear makeup. All of, and, and nail polish. I still have the toenail polish on because I haven't taken it off. Yeah, but yeah, but it was just, it was the whole combination of things. No, it was just like, it, I, I, it was in my mom's house. So all she has is pink. All she has is pink. <coughs> it was bad. It was all bad. Anyway, so I, I was too tired and in, in, in too much underwear to, to go ahead and recite this poem to her. So, <laughs> um, so I'm going to go ahead and do this. It's called Prayer Unfinished. Waiting for blood. I track back twinges, appetites, water weight. Haven't begged for blood in years, willed contraction into an unsure womb. But I've been savoring names, rolling them around in my mouth, matching them to your sweet potential scent. Likely I'm unfit, an incurable skeptic, consumed with all I still want to do. Would you sleep backstage in the green room? Eat Cheerios in the van between Fayetteville and Memphis? The only life I can offer defies every textbook. But if you insist on existing, clinging hard to my pillowed interior, take this life of protest and rapture. In this land of smokestacks, I can't even promise you air. But I can promise you honesty and the pain of knowing too much. Promise inappropriate laughter Swear the hands of family and revolutionaries will harbor and lift you. Ours is a red legacy, and children of poets get weaned on questions, grow riddles in their bellies, but in blood I would bear you. And the spilled and guilty bloods of your ancestors would river you through this country, damp with it. Forgive me. For wanting you so much, I would bring you into this violent nation without the weapons of privilege or pure bloodline, knowing you are not the only cause I might die for. 
But if we wait until this world deserves you, I will never know whether you have your grandfather's crooked walk or your aunt's imperfect pitch. Tarot readers and grandmothers have dreamed of your arrival, warned you may not come at all. So this prayer is for you, tiny fusion of cells, kinetic energy deciding whether to be. I hesitate to name you, knowing I could never give you half what I've been granted. Tonight, I leak red, carry stains to familiar altars. Forgive me for believing in my own insufficiency, for postponing you to extinction. Sleep safe now, with whatever God holds you closest while I wait to grow worthy of you. Hi, a couple more. Hi, bye. It's okay. Don't feel bad for leaving. Don't, don't even feel a little bit bad about it. Even as you're walking out, don't feel bad. Mm -mm. Nope, nope. Walk out on poetry all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, this is new, and um, I'm kind of excited because it's actually a combination of three poems that I've been working on, and they all just like, came together, and I was like, yay! That's I I just got <laughs> I just got my MFA in poetry and so that's actually that's the technical term. Yay! <laughs> like, you know, we sit in class at this you know, like really expensive school and say, Yay, it worked. I'm sure there's some more technical term for it, but we just call it yay. Call her broken. Not that any visible marks remain, but the way she leans back while talking to strangers, flinches at bushes, locks third floor windows, favorite color is still gray, gains three regional accents a year. Your hand still fits in the small of her back and sometimes she lets you. Mostly, it's the flickers in her peripheral vision, the way she watches the door as if glass were the enemy, the way she watches men as if their voice boxes held reasons. No, you have no right to write this. There are nights. Toddlers crawl into beds with sleeping parents. Watch spiders concoct webs in corners. Lovers wake, slip from under arms to pee in the dark and curl back, noiseless, without ever turning on the light. The earth shifts to show a little more of the moon. The fabric rose on the table sports plastic water beads for sake of realism. Wax could be real, but the trees insist on priority. He wants to know if she loves him, and then what that means. She could tell him, but the backlighting makes him suddenly beautiful. Two. In the mirror, a woman. Inherited marks constellate pearl skin. From her navel, futures twine unexplored, a lost name, a bird's cry at sunrise, a decision. Flat stomach as evidence, a swallow rattles the eaves. Nest shreds rain past the glass, passport lies open, her with less hair, lighter. Small blasphemies of the flesh, no noise now. A laying on of hands, fingers to the void, thrice vacuumed, a buried orchard, the good family. Digits divide skin, she dreams damp alleys, flutes. The ceiling crack rifts wider as she comes. Three. 
She is not poreless, plastic, mannequin perfect, glossy, glamour, magazine, gorgeous, pornographic, rock star, rebel queen, not nurse, not mother, still. Present her your well-earned wounds for dressing and salve. She cannot save you, but submit your midnight dreams to her and she will believe them into being. All flesh fails eventually, and the promiscuous cannot age gracefully, but she will hold you until your skins fall away together, no matter in whose arms you sleep. Love her, and the moon will condone you. She has lived too much in the sun to trust in the endurance of June afternoons, regardless of their heat. You think her mutable, inconstant, irregularly lunar. She is certain as the patterns of silt whirling in a sandstorm. She is geometry you cannot track. Distracted by the arc of the spear she tosses, you want to retrieve it, place it at her feet, but even her toes mark space like gates. You consider her luxury, artifact, ready to wear. She is rough wool, symbol, the diamond that cuts. You dream her mirror, Balm, glitter, glass, she is razor, pyre, scalpel, guard, she lets you believe her priceless. She is free. All right, so, so I guess I'll do one more, and I'm trying to decide which of these two to do. Um, do, 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 do. The one on the right, okay. Well, she yelled it out first. Um, and it's, it's, it's probably um, a better ending poem anyway. Um, I actually wrote this. <laughs> some of us, like I said, were in Seattle for nationals, and some of us have been talking about the um, dearth of poetry that was actually at nationals this year or that we actually got to hear. Um, so uh, <laughs> this is... This is as much as I don't like to like write response poems, this is sort of a, um, a response. But this is a poem that requires a swig of beer first, so <laughs> hold on. I think everybody ought to take a swiv swig of whatever beverage they have. <clears throat> it's just right now called Raw Poem. Write a poem without skin. Bright like fire through eyelids, one that will not settle down, will not speak in composed tones to ignorance, to hatred, to blame. One that will rise up and redefine wrath as too much love for silence. We are each the miscast reflection of our inflicted life, but voice demands a deeper look. More than a passing glance to ensure privilege is intact. More than pitching rocks in the river to alter our image. More than hanging pictures of who we'd like to be over our given faces. Speak, poet. Speak, you closet prophets and hidden mystics. Listen, poet. Listen, you not quite activists and former warriors. We live in dangerous times where one lesbian friend grants you use of the word faggot, where Japs attack Pearl Harbor unprovoked on the big screen every night, where magazines insist I look better now I can't afford to overeat, where I still can't marry a woman in America and this uterus is still subject to some man's law. Tell me what you stand for. Tell me you stand for something more than the symbol on your sneakers. Dig into the secrets that cushion your soul. You are not effective unless you are vulnerable. Howl with the courage of lunatics and saints. Sieve your words through bullet-punctured steel. Drive too fast into the mouth of the monster you fear most. Learn how asphalt tastes. Listen, 
until you have something to say that draws fire on the palms of strangers, that pulls jumpers from ledges, that makes babies sigh in the womb, then listen more. Listen harder to the laughter of maniacs, to the echoes in Grand Central Station, to the rustling of evergreens and the mating calls of ravens. Study the eyes of survivors and killers. No, you could be either. Write every word as if it were etched on your grave. Thank you all so much. Thank you. I wanted to kiss her right then, not on the forehead after wiping her tears, but on the lips, through the smoke and bar chatter. But then what? She with her fractured heart, I with a lover unjealous, open could we kiss, give sex for comfort, heal and grieve. How would we leave each other then? Maybe it would be easy. Morning showers and talk of poetry and families, daffodils on a kitchen table. My first was 19. Ivory reed, clean and chiseled. Two months after her year as a prostitute, my family crumbling at its center, we held each other up on unpredictable nights, hoping some salvation could spark between drunken lips. In the rush to mean something larger, the details often slip. The man walking into a mailbox at the sight of us holding hands at 7 a.m. Bare feet coated in sand after sleeping on the beach the night she whispered her favorite Adrian Richline. Two women sleeping together have more than their sleep to defend. Birds tired from flight. Wings bent. Feet turning inward. We are the walking wounded. One says weeks later, I've never needed to be held the way I did that night. And I remember the tightrope of knowing she was bone and not porcelain, but fissured in places nonetheless, letting her remove her own clothes and then mine, letting the moment own us both with refusal to memory. One steps into my sleeping bag, small goddess of foot stomp and song, kitchen floor, laughter from the open bedroom door. Antenna trembling, hands eager to conjure grace on my simple frame. Old pain of exile and fresh pain of three friends' death in one week plain as her knees curl to my stomach and we agree to not now. Not like this. One, twenty-six, a friend's ex-lover. Forbidden, anticipated like Christmas. Battered by the friend's cocaine habit and paranoia, often cried after coming. Heavy breasts pressed against my arm, I left her confessing I'd fall in love if I stayed, knowing I've never healed anything, just held pieces in place while the glue dried. When one says another woman assaulted her, don't ask if she fought back, or why she was there, or what she was on. Don't ask if she said no, or how many times. Drive her to the clinic for her first appointment. Lend her your car every week after that. The night she decides she needs to be held by you, comes to you, you'll be amazed at how she doesn't cry, but sleeps with her cheek to your chest, how touch can turn weapon and back again. We the tested, 
We the standing, the split, and rebuilt spot each other through winces and non-ritual scarification. Carry each other across borders of too much whiskey or too many lies for one lifetime. Betrayals too buried for words, symbol, and circumstance. We lean into each other like robins, spreading feathers for warmth. Stubby mite. It's better. Dear Lord, please let my car still be where I left it. These thoughts ran through my head like little coked-up field mice. My red Toyota didn't mingle too well on a street parked next to BMWs, Mercedes, and the occasional Jaguar. And I was wondering if the Naperville police would tow it out of spite. It's foreign, so there was a chance they might not notice. Sitting there with its rust and dents, it didn't fit in, and neither did I. I was, as I said before, in Naperville, the land of milk and khaki. Polo shirts with little horsies over the right peck floated up and down the streets as if a Ralph Lauren store decided to put on roller skates. It was vulgar, yet I could not look away. Men on huge motorcycles tooled up and down the strip in front of Jimmy's Grill, wearing their uniforms, polos, khakis, deck shoes. I just finished eating at a restaurant called the Samba Room. It's an upscale Cuban place that serves $6 beers and $8 mixed drinks. It was reservation only, due in fact to the excellent cuisine, and they kept all the Cubans in the kitchen safely hidden from view. I suppose they bring them out once in a while as a novelty act, but I'm sure the regulars would just have them stay away and do the thing Cuban Americans do for minimum wage. The little Aryan boy waiters were excellent in their pressed uniforms, looking like little blonde penguins. Of course, I received some odd looks with me in my faded carpenter jeans and Carhartt t-shirt, but I guess I was white, so that afforded me some courtesy. During the meal, a small black face pressed itself halfway up the front door, staring in at us. The man in the booth next to me sneered, Damn darky kid's gonna get fingerprints all over the glass. I presume it was his wife who said, Lord Bruce, show some class. You know we call those people colored now. Bruce replied, how times change. How they change indeed, Bruce. That little black face might even own a house next to yours in 20 years. I got up only eating half my meal. I left a 20 on the table and told him to keep the change. All eight cents of it. My appetite had been replaced by disgust, and I knew it was time to go back home and put on some proper boots and a good Stetson hat. Anyway, uh, just because I don't want to get um, a reputation for like sucking up to the judges, um, this is, I, I love write and response poetry, and this is about somebody from a former uh, New York Nationals squad, and uh, so anyway, this is, well, but on the other hand, it's, you know, I got relatives that this applies to, so this is called More Than Anger. There is more than anger behind my eyes, even when you piss me off, my brother. For all men are brothers, I've been told, but I don't have to acknowledge them in public. 
Every hard-fought step on my journey from full-grown boy to half-formed man and every back step along that path, you dogged me, my brother. Again with your bullshit. Louder this time like it might make it true. Don't say this one particular woman. Say women, all women. Generalize to me, brother. Put me instantly beyond beyond exhaustion. Smugly assume that I'm part of some asshole brotherhood of real men. And if I disagree, you'll tell me I'm just being PC and shout me down if you suspect I'm being personally correct so you can sound like Rush Limbaugh. But I've got a call in for your sexist program. Been there, done done it. It made me weak and it made me sick. No one stands over you with a stick. You are choosing this way to be and don't lie to yourself because you can't lie to me. I've been you and I know that to you, my mother is a bitch and my sister, and my mate, and all my friends that make up the oppressed 51%. You don't want to see them as people. I do see you pretend sometimes. You believe in equal rights for bitches and stuff. You are so much more feminist than that ignorant motherfucker next to you and wondering how many times you have to repeat it to get a blowjob. You've got that trick down of insulting women and then asking, can't you take a joke? You're ready to suppress your personal shit for the woman you hope to fuck it on a hair trigger to piss and moan if there's no hope in hell. <clears throat> You've got it. You know how to talk that enlightened male shit. You've got it, oh my brother. The fuck you do. See, I've been you socialized on the same fictional, biblical, and commercial bullshit concerning women, but you can lose it all. Look behind my eyes to where I dug deep past anger to honest sorrow the last time a woman told me it was over. Behind my eyes you'll find pure joy now when I watch the young women dance with each other because I don't have a single expectation of them anymore. And fear. I've hidden fear under boasting pride. Like maybe I'm not man enough and money, status, or kicking ass aren't enough to make me a man. I've lied to myself too. Made a thousand excuses lined up like soldiers. What are they defending, oh my brother? Your ancestor cut his own flesh to mourn a lost child. Your forgotten relation laughs out loud as tears stream down his cheeks, and he holds life's ironies like kittens. And your wannabe shaman brother has one stupid message straight from forgotten gods, that this is not about not getting laid. It's about not being miserable while you're not getting laid. I've been you, my brother, but I won't be again. Look behind my eyes. You may find more than anger. I don't know who told you that. I'm not a hippie. I'm spending my time gazing into the faces of strangers waiting for the story to unfold. 
They serve up their history in glances and postures, pacing around taking baby steps, trying not to be seen, trying not to notice that the wind is blowing in opposite directions tonight, clashing trails across mountaintops and parking lots, stripping the warmth from our bones while we chase sky horses racing against midnight. We're trying to catch a glimpse of God's people. We're trying to sneak a peek at the celestial orgy behind the curtain. We're looking for an explanation for this everyday world that dissolves mystery with the slightest touch. And the tale starts to spin spiraling inward and I'm going somewhere, nowhere fast, trying to forget the faces of strangers grinning absent out the plastic window to the world, believing in neon daylights and living for odds placed on the bookshelves of our souls between Rapunzel and the mini Bibles they give out at revival meetings, salvation in a hundred pages or less, hallelujah, let's two-step back in time to an old Peter, Paul, and Mary tune because we all lose our innocence along the way. It's how we remember it that matters. Sometimes I am the black and the white of an old James Dean poster walking down Broadway, frozen in the rain forever. When there is blue camouflage across my eyes and I am awaiting the peace that passes all understanding that just flew by on the shoulder, leaving me trapped in a traffic jam three hours from home when vacation is weirder than fiction and the world's words ring crystalline streaks across our tears. It's easy to miss everyone else teetering an inch from the edge, searching for the box of clues that leads us out of confusion's fog. When things fall apart, rocking me to my knees, I am tired of trying to find God in the empty spaces because the ghosts of my failures are dancing through haunted hallways, tripping over the building blocks of childhood, and I'm caught in yesterday's reality, deconstructing my patterns while the world cries turpentine tears, dissolving the still frame of memory. I've been left lost with only the smile of a broken woman to guide me, her mirrored reflection portraying misdirection as her silver-tipped tongue led me astray. I followed naive in the shadow of potential, forsaking the possibilities inside of me. And upon waking, I found realization waiting for the revelation that we are all the faces of strangers gazing into stranger faces, and we're all looking for someone to save us. Mark Jones had my brother pinned to the ground. I stood by while he pummeled his face, me weakly whispering, enough, that's enough. Later retelling the story to stunned friends, I had struggled to break free, arms held behind my back, but I was only held by a threat. You wanna be next, huh? I stood by while he kicked my brother in the stomach. My brother started lifting weights because I stood by while he smashed his nose, cut his lip, cracked his ribs, bruised his kidneys. Television reporters interviewing a woman after saving four children. Strangers in a burning home she carried down one by one through blazing door frames. Or man after saving drowning dog from flood-raged rivers always hear the same words from these heroes. I didn't think. I just did what I had to do. And I wonder if I would do the same, or would I be one of the nameless onlookers measuring flames, heat versus thickness of skin, or river's velocity versus strength of arms and legs? By then, the hero has already acted. Emerging blackened and coughing from smoke, carrying the last child in her arms, or dripping and exhausted, lifting a golden retriever to dry ground. 
and I, in a room full of angry laughing heads, lips bare to show gnashing teeth, spitting acid slander, me struggling to speak behind tightly pressed lips, am reminded of Peter denying Christ once. He is not my brother. Twice, that is not my brother. Thrice, that was not my brother. And I, at a family reunion in northern Michigan, listening to my uncle proudly sharing his newest repertoire of Korean shopkeeper jokes, me not laughing but silent. Imagine a man on the side of a lonely Jasper Road, watching the corpse of James Bird Jr. dragging in the gravel, bouncing in the air, clothes and skinned and limbs shredded to pieces behind a pickup truck, the man whispering to himself, that ain't my brother. That ain't my brother. And I at a smoky college bar, drinking a beer in private, hearing the pack of Alpha Omegas ramble off the drunken litany of ass pirate, butt surfer, bone licker, fudge packer. Imagine a reluctant man in a darkly lit Laramie bar, wanting to warn Matthew Shepard that the pretenders he was leaving with had nothing but blood on their brains, saying nothing as Matthew walks out the door to a wooden fence and a pistol whipping. And back in the bar, the silent man convinces the bottom of his shot glass, that was not my brother. That was not my brother. I always wanted to be the hero. Always wanted to do the right thing, but always thinking too much, shutting my mouth instead, scars on my tongue read like a thesaurus of all the words I never said. But no more. That's enough. The next time I see a father cuff his child, I will call him out. The next time I hear the bangs and crashes, the ensuing weeping from the upstairs apartment, I will pound on that door. The next time I see a cross burning, I will tear it down. The next time I am called to act, I will not think, I will not shrink, I will do what must be done. I would like to do a serious piece now, as I am the most serious poet in this room. <clears throat> that is it! I have had enough! I am fucking sick of seeing couples in public! All those happy, stupid, lovey-dovey, kissy-kissy, moronic nickname. No, I'll miss you more. No, I'll miss you more. No, I'll miss you more. Assholes wanting their happiness left and right and left and right. Watching my own gender tune into a bunch of whipped little boys every time they think they've met someone who will let them fuck. I am sick of it. I am declaring war on the dating process. I'll start by ruining every date I see. Take up a job at the Olive Garden, sipping, slipping high-strength laxatives into the every couple's food. I'll go to my second job as a studio projectionist at Studio 28, subliminally splicing single-frame messages into every scene reading, Whoa, he'll leave you. She's sleeping with your friend. He doesn't love you, and Lorena Bobbitt! 
I'm going to deflate limo tires outside of proms and pay the chauffeurs to get lost in burn-ups. Well, the big strapping man in back can get out and ask Toothless Joe directions to the Van Andel Museum. But I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to get a job at the Grand Rapids Press and Photoshop images of famous serial killers into wedding announcement photos, standing next to a hopeful bride-to-be, and print phony divorce notices of every married couple I know. I'm declaring war on the matchmakers, too, setting up hundreds of fake accounts, showing off all the personality traits of such winners as Box 741, Jeff. Uh-huh. Hi, my name is Jeff. You can call me J-Man. My interests are professional wrestling, fantasizing about having sex with porn stars, getting laid on the first date before I pay for dinner, and long walks on the beach. If you think you can handle this much, man, give me a call. I'll be waiting. No, oh shit. I'll be sending in crime scene photos of homicides as my personal picture to the people. Imagine it, ladies. Hi, Susan. It's so nice to see you. Well, we've got a lot of responses for you. First, there's Jeff. Oh, you've met Jeff. Well, what'd you think? No? Well, we've got another. His name is Ryan. His profile says that he's an Aries Pisces cusp. He's a slam poet. Hmm, sounds interesting. Enjoys the arts. Says here he's been part of guerrilla acts of poetry, enjoys long walks at night in the dark parts of the city where the police don't patrol it very often. That means he likes adventure! And here's his photo. And here's his photo. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, I know. He doesn't look the greatest right there, but he says that the hospital managed to reattach his arm and foot, though they're still working on a new hand for him. So what do you say? Women, hold your men! Men, grab those ladies by the tonight are coming out tonight! And this will be the... cluttered and crazy up here. I'm going to do one I ain't did in a while. It's that man who's laid back but still keeps it wild. A drifter as a man, I'll cast it as a child. Now mentally, I never let it bother me much because instead of being blessed, well, a nigga was touched in the dome. Leave me alone, I got to get my thoughts straight. I try to hold it down, but I can't concentrate. Reoccurring nightmares, screams in the dark. Did I bring this on myself or was I fucked from the start? My head stuck in the clouds, tears falling to earth because I've been trapped in this hell since birth. Now worse comes to worse and makes a nigga have to wonder why. I lie each time I smile because really I want to cry. Damn, so confused. So at times I gotta ask, should I cancel my future just to escape from my past? <laughs> Whoever said that this life I lead was simple, if it was I wouldn't do 85. The residentials wouldn't have to deal crooked thoughts all the time. Wouldn't have to struggle just to find peace of mind. And so a sad chapter must come to a close because the alcohol just spilled all in my clothes. Damn!
a male myth about feminists that we hate sex. It can be a natural, zesty enterprise. However, there are some people, it is called satyriasis in men, nymphomania in women, who engage in it compulsively and without joy. Oh, no. Oh, yes.